The Radical Secular Podcast, a demand for justice, equality, and rational public policy. Subscribe at YouTube, Apple Podcasts and all the major podcast channels. Visit our website at theradicalsecular.com for articles, insights, and our complete library of episodes. Support us on Patreon and follow us on social media. Welcome to the Radical Secular Podcast. I'm Drew Scott. I'm Sean Prophet. And I'm Christoph Defoe. Today, we'll be continuing our discussion of the HBO series, Show Me a Hero, from David Simon. We started our analysis of the series back in Radical Secular episode number 58, Simon Says, where we focused on the first two episodes. And in this installment, we'll be continuing that discussion about episodes three and four. But before we get to any of that, or our weekly synopsis of current events, I want to remind you, make sure to subscribe, hit the like button if you're watching us on YouTube, leave a comment or review, and most importantly, tell your friends to listen. And if you're in a position to support the show, please head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash theradicalsecular. We'd really appreciate your support, and we've started posting some fun content on there, such as after-show commentary that we usually have little discussions uh, amongst ourselves about you know, how we felt about the show. So if you want a little window into the behind the scenes of the show, be sure to check that out. Uh, New episodes of the show post Mondays at noon uh, Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish new articles weekly in our journal at theradicalsecular.com. Now, let's see what everyone's got going on for shirts this week. Christoph, what are you sporting? Sure, sure. Um, Today I'm rocking my... um, my Vietnam, one of my Vietnam shirts, it's called, it's uh, Mac V Sog. Uh, yes, it has the skull in a sort of a uh, explosion the beret. logo. Exactly, with the mm-hmm. green beret. And so this, yeah. is all, this is all about the green berets. And, and, I, and I'm wearing that shirt today. I know this is sort of, this is sort of a uh, around the world. Uh, that was a little interesting way to put it because I'm actually going to South Africa, right? So, um, the, and and. This is my last show before I go to South Africa, and I'm going to be there for a couple of weeks and I'll go in for reasons that I really can't get into here. But while I'm there and this is the silver lining and the fun part of this is that I'm going to be going on a motorcycle trip from Johannesburg to Cape Town. And <laughs> how, how, how does this tie into the shirt is because motorcycle trips for me um, are always there's always a part of a motorcycle trip that that like I'm, when you're tired, you're cold, you're hot. Uh, you are uncomfortable and you kind of have to like push yourself through it. Right. And, um, and, and I love to listen to, um, to books when I'm riding. And one of the, some of my favorite books are these sort of war books, right. Of these people going through these really, really difficult times. And also this sort of like bravado kind of like swinging dick kind of bravado, you know, and sort of like, um, or swinging vagina, that's fine too. Um, you know, sort of bravado that these special forces people sort of um, take on. And so I was sort of motivated as I'm going into this trip, which is going to be crazy. And uh, to, to sort of uh, to don the mantle of the uh, of the swinging dick, swinging booze, swinging vagina, um, green berets. And uh, so that's why I'm rocking my shirt today. Awesome. Well, that's, it just sounds like a fantastic time. I'm really jealous about the motorcycle part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome shirt for sure. What about you, well, Sean? I'm wearing, it's pretty on the nose. This is white silence equals white consent. Black mm-hmm. lives matter. Mm-hmm. 
And that, of course, ties into our show today. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a sure. good sentiment every day. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something a little disturbing this week I wanted to mention about that, though, and that is that sure. one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter has now jumped on board the anti-vax train. So Ugh. that is really, really a shame. Ugh. It's like it's just diluting the message. And uh, I really hope that gets fixed internally because I would hate for that <laughs> to reflect on the movement. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Well, um, my shirt is, uh, I didn't really pick it for any particular reason. It's just, it was just kind of the next one in the pile and I just like it. So I decided to keep it uh, for the show, but, uh, it's a red sun Superman. Nice. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Red sun Superman, which for those who don't know, uh, and the audio listeners, the shirt is basically a, uh, Superman logo with a hammer and sickle in the middle. And it's, uh, from an, uh, I think early mid two thousands, uh, uh, comic series in which it's kind of a what if sort of deal where you know it's a it's a hypothetical if you know a superman crash landed in soviet russia instead of uh, <laughs> kansas so uh it's a really interesting book and they made an animated movie out of it recently it was really really awesome so it's yeah, a good turnaround my- because uh you know i mean superman is white american jesus basically so mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly for sure yeah, I got I got to check that out, Drew. I remember you 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 suggested that to me a while back, and and I haven't haven't gotten to it yet. And you also suggested to show me a hero, which I now have watched, and you were right about that. That is an outs- oh. it's so we're going to talk about that, but that's Absolutely. a fucking great show. I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you, uh, you you dug it, and we'll and we'll get into all that. Um, so for now, though, I want to get to uh, some current events. Mm-hmm. So um, it seems like we're all been sort of broken records here. I think all of us here on this panel are on the same page as far as vaccines, masks, and our attitude towards COVID in general. We've been yelling from the rooftops about it since this all started. But with the virus being so prevalent in our lives, both personally and in our politics, it seems absurd to not discuss what is happening in some way each week. Uh, And now it happened. We've officially passed the number of deaths in the 1918 pandemic. We did it. We're yeah. number one. We're number one. We're n- no, no. Okay. I don't know to do that or to do this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so considering everything that we've been talking about uh, over the past year and a half uh, with vaccine refusal, mask refusal, conservatives pumping tons of misinformation out there, what? how do you guys think? this is ever going to truly end and will it ever truly end? Well, okay. So we've got, you know, 700,000 deaths and it's not exactly an apt comparison because in 1918, the U S population was probably about a third the size of what it is now. Um, But the 700,000 is obviously an undercount. And what we do know is the pace of new vaccinations is slowing down and there's potential for new variants. So we don't really know when this is going to end. But there's something that's kind of funny, kind of, uh, I guess, very dark, but that is the Herman Cain Award. And <laughs> we've talked about this before. It's a very unfortunate name, but it had to be named after someone who downplayed COVID, who opposed master vaccines and then died of COVID. And the good yeah. news, though, about this forum on Reddit is that some people have been actually reached by the award. And there's a category of people on that thread who've been redeemed decided hmm. to get their vaccine due to actually reading this thread and seeing all the people who died. So that's excellent. And if, it, you know, for that part of it, you know, that's probably good that it's named after him. Um, although he didn't certainly help. 
But <laughs> um, this death cult, though, surrounding COVID, it's the most cynical thing imaginable because all the power brokers in the GOP know that COVID is real. They're all, for the most part, vaccinated. And people at Fox News are vaccinated. Yep. Some of these preachers are probably vaccinated. Okay. They, they just don't tell anybody because it's the whole thing is being played. Um, also, for the most cynical purposes of blaming illegal immigration, mm. turning people against government and Democrats. It's just like they're 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 so mad that Trump screwed up covid and uh, didn't get reelected. And so they're determined to make this somehow play against the Democrats by killing people. And it's a supreme and deadly grift. And I wanted to talk about one new wrinkle that just happened, and that is that we're seeing now the rise of ICU vigilantes who are trying to forcibly take and remove critically ill patients out of the hospital. And this is where this whole thing was always headed, because if you're in for a penny, which is mask refusal, then you're going to be in for a pound all the way through vaccine refusal and up to trying to break dying people out of hospitals. Because people who reject experts, they always have to escalate or they're forced to face the consequences. Exactly. Anything's better for them, including committing a crime than admitting that they're wrong. And admitting someone, um, you know, that is that wrong means that they have to take responsibility for the deaths that they caused and they have no way out. So, uh, in a small bit of good news on COVID, both cases and deaths seem to be on the slight decline. And we know that cases lead deaths by two to three weeks. And right now the deaths seem to have peaked at just over 2000 deaths a day within the past week or so. So we could possibly be on the downswing. It's too early to tell if we're going to get another variant before this is over. So that's my take. Yeah. Oh, oh. Christoph? Yeah, I'm just groaning in just groanness of what the fuck, man. I mean, 2000 people a day, you mm -hmm. know, and people are talking about, oh, this is, you know, it's 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 not very it's not deadly. It's not that big of a deal. It's just the flu. And it's like how and and. You know, you can point people to this evidence. You can see here are the actual numbers. 2,000 people are dying every day. 700,000 people have died altogether. And it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter, I think, to these people. And I think it doesn't matter for the same, for the reasons that you're, some of the reasons you're talking about, Sean. I saw a meme on Twitter um, recently. Uh, it was uh, uh, Elon Omar, I think she uh, retweeted or whatever. And it was a Breitbart clip of some kind and some guy in this this whoever it was it was you know, writing for breitbart said like you know that he it was some nonsensical stuff like he he was claiming that the left wants people on the right anti-vaxxers and everything else to, to 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 die and that is somehow why <laughs> they are in, they're encouraging them to take the vaccine whatever set aside the, the, the complete nonsensicalness of that but one of the things that he said was really telling he, he said the quiet part out loud he said we th yes the vaccine is he concedes that the vaccine is effective mm -hmm. but what he says but he's basically just said it straight up is like you know they just want us to say we were wrong and we can't say we were wrong. Like that was the gist of what he was saying. Like I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that was the gist. So, and that goes to what you're saying, Sean, it's like the doubling down, like it's not even about the sickness. It's not about the deaths. It's about owning the lids. It's about not, it's about being, it's about necessarily being right. And so, and this is so reflected in how Trump is, right? Like mm -hmm. even in the face of obvious evidence where it's like, clearly that is a lie. That is mm -hmm. not true. Nope, I don't know what you're talking about. It's just, and, and it's just like this, absurd 
some some something of, of bravado and honor and all this sort of like toxic toxic masculinity that's really brought all together. So to answer your question, Drew, I really think that we're going to be living with this for a very, very very long time. I think that that this is part of our lives for the foreseeable future. That's how I'm thinking about it. Um, and uh, I think it'll get better. I think that the that the case is peaking is a great thing. I mean, well, you know what I mean? I mean, the fact that it's peaked and not going back, mm-hmm. not continuing to go up is a good thing. Um, but I, I, you know, I was I was sitting on the toilet today and I was, myself, <laughs> and, I was, and I was thinking to myself as one does when this one sits on the toilet, like just thinking about stuff. And I was just like, man, like when we started this out, I thought we thought it was going to be a thing and then we we're going to get through it. But like the way I'm thinking about this has changed a lot. Like the world is now different forever mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah. I think that's, that's accurate. And, um, you know, Sean, you know what you're saying about the Herman Cain award. First of all, I think that's a perfect name for it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and, and second of all, I, you know, if there's a single bright spot in all of this madness, and I don't think there are many, but <laughs> one one of them is that, you know, this seems to be killing off just about every asshole, misinformation spewing right wing radio host yeah. in the country. Like, what's that about? Are you guys seeing all these headlines of of oh so and so from some radio station right wing conservative commentator that you've never heard of yeah dropped dead oh. from covid who spewed covid misinformation like that's been like a recurring theme so true there's, there's been half a dozen of them and there's been a bunch of preachers too but here's what it comes down to right if they acknowledge that this is all true and that liberals were right then that means that they have to take responsibility for those deaths including yeah. their own including their families including all mm-hmm. that that's it's it's very much like what happens when uh second amendment people when their families get shot and they yes. still don't change their mind because they're like well we can't admit we were wrong about this because that would mean we killed our or we were partially responsible for our own family member dying and that is like the most i mean you you how do you get over that hurdle you don't yeah, it's yeah. like pulling it. That's like, it, it's like pulling that thread, right? Like once you pull that thread and it's like, and this is true in terms of a lot of bad belief systems, right? Um, this is true in terms of religion and a I lot of various things, yeah. right? When you pull one little, like they can't concede anything because once you concede yeah. this, then you must concede that yeah. and you mm-hmm. must concede that. And then like you say, Sean, now you have to take responsibility for some really, really shitty things and explain a lot of really, really shitty um, uh, policies and programs and things that you may have done or that you have subscribed to. Same so, goes so for climate. Climate is another big I, one. Like There's that. another big one. Yep. Yeah. So you're saying that the talking snakes and virgin births and resurrections aren't real, Christoph? <laughs> is that what you're trying to say? Look, I, I, I can neither I can neither confirm nor deny those those allegations. I cannot. <laughs> cannot possibly. <laughs> cannot, could, can't, can't, can't go there. OK, no. uh, so 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 moving along. Um, This week, we saw the results come in from the GOP-fueled recount effort in Arizona. And wouldn't you know it, drumroll, Biden won. Ah, (laughs) old news to anyone who hasn't gargled gallons of Trump brand orange Kool-Aid for the last six years. But I found this whole thing somewhat hilarious, considering that they actually widened Biden's margin of victory there. Mm -hmm. That's great. Although these... uh, Efforts by Republicans and their shitbag in chief, Cheeto Mussolini, to dismantle (laughs) democracy are generally frightening. Uh, Seeing the system hold like this is comforting. 
So with that said, who knows what the future holds for 2022 and 2024? We're seeing voter rights trampled all over the country, and the GOP isn't stopping its cutthroat, ruthless, anti-democratic tactics anytime soon. But in this case, the overwhelming evidence, or rather lack thereof, showed what most of us already knew to be true, that there was no overwhelming voter fraud and that Biden won. So what do you guys think these results say about the state of our democracy right now? Well, okay. I mean, the whole thing was a circus that never should have happened. <laughs> yeah. That recount was was disgusting. And uh, the idea of it is disgusting because it was not the state doing it. It was a private contractor being paid by the Republican Party. And so what I have to say about it is that as long as the GOP exists as a national party, our democracy is fucked. They, they don't believe in democracy at all. They're not a loyal opposition party. Uh, we're not doing nearly enough to confront them. We're playing checkers and they're playing four-dimensional chess, which is hard to admit because we're supposed to be the smart party, right? Hmm. In terms of power, though, they are running circles around us in every way. Mm -hmm. And what I, I, there was an interesting note this week from Michael Cohen, and he said that Trump is not planning on running again in 2024, but that Trump is making more money from his election fraud narrative than anything else he's ever done in his life. Hmm. You know, So hmm. uh, it's also an open secret that all the top Republicans also know that Biden won the election. And of course they do. The, the yeah. most interesting ones to think about are those Republicans who won on the same ballots that elected Biden, right? If they question <laughs> the results, they're questioning their own elections. And there's there are dozens of them all over the country who got elected in places where Biden won. So it's setting up an impossible schism within the GOP that has to play out. It can't last forever, though. Yeah, I, yeah. I think you're right about the checkers and chess thing, although I, I don't even know if I see it as them being smart. I see it as like, a form of cunning almost, you know, like a hawk doesn't need to be smart to, you know, snatch up a squirrel in the, in the field. Right. Like it just, you know, it just has it, that cutthroat instinct. If you're moving the pieces in ways that defeat Democrats, then it doesn't matter what, you know, why yeah. it doesn't matter whether you're smart or not. You're moving those pieces. You're moving the levers of power. You have Absolutely. access to those levers of power. You know how to move them and that, you know, we're not, we're not competing in the way that we need to compete to defeat them, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that's right. I think that's what right. What do you think, Christoph? Yeah, you know, um, it's a it's a good question, and um, I'm I am uh, I'm a very optimistic guy by nature, um, but I am less than optimistic about our about our democracy right now. I um, mean, I think it really actually ties into what we were just talking about this idea of uh, of, of doubling down, of digging in one digging in digging in one's heel. So. Remember back in 2009 um, uh, or 2008, I'm sorry, when Obama won and there was a lot of talk about the Republicans doing some soul searching. Right. And saying like, <laughs> hey, look, you know, we are we got we got we were beat handily. Demographics are changing. The Amer it's not the same America we grew up in. Maybe we should change our message. And that was a choice that they had. And of course, we know how they responded to that choice, which was to double down, triple down. So the ideas. And so rather than come up with ideas that will appeal to a broad coalition of people, they decided to do to 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 double down on their on their on their shrinking uh, minority and cheat. 
And uh, that is and we can't run a democracy that way. I really would love to be in a world where someone like me politically is actually more of like kind of center right. Right. Um, that is where I think I belong on the political spectrum, on a normal political spectrum. Right. Um, center to center. Right. That's probably where I end that where I probably end up. Um, so and I, and that is a crazy thing to say, knowing well, my politics yeah. versus American it, politics. Right. It, it, yeah. it is because, Christoph, I mean, you and me, are, we're, we're social Democrats, but we believe in yeah. private property. Right. I mean, exactly. the lefties yeah. are like yeah. fucking communists. Right. Yeah, they wanna, exactly. You know, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. Like, that's yeah, yeah. left. Right. That's yeah. left. Like, the, 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 you know, the government owns the means of production left. Right. right. Like, no one has yeah. private property left. That's left. And then you got fascism over here. Like, right. I should we're in the be middle. somewhere we should. in the fucking middle. Like, sanity. Just yeah. fucking sanity. We no, we just don't let people just die. That's right. A, you know, we don't just let we don't when people run out of money, they just don't fucking die. That's that that's my politics, yeah. right? Shouldn't be a controversial position. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. it is a controversial position in America right now. And um so until the GOP gets to a place, and this is all that about those power games you're talking about, um, one, un, until the GOP literally runs out of options, and by mm-hmm. that I mean they they can't gerrymander anymore. Whatever, all the tricks, all at like right, the filibuster is gone. Let's say all of the various things they use to stay in power. Until those things are gone, we can be. I think we can be absolutely certain that our democracy is in nonstop peril until then, because they will. Do, we know they will do anything. Look, remember yeah. if, if 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 Trump, if they could find a way to to for Trump to be in office right now that didn't involve him actually getting more votes he would be they wouldn't would just be. say they wouldn't say oh you know what uh he didn't win fair and square absolutely not if they were able to overturn the election they absolutely would have and that is terrifying guys did you see the uh the 6 point plan that was that they found this week oh my god about yeah. what what Mike Pence was supposed to do and how they had they had this they had every option like ticked right down the line and this is what i mean by them playing chess it's like we don't think Nobody on the left actually thought that they would have have openly written memos about subverting the Constitution, but they yeah, did. But they it's a, it's did. A, it's a failure of imagination on our part, I guess. <laughs> I think it you is, Drew. I think yeah. it is, Drew. Because, I mean, I think that when we look at ourselves, when we look at them, we think like, I mean, I know for the most of my life as a lefty, you know, um, I have thought to myself that, yes, the people on the other side have some, we, we, we have some basic things in common. First of all, and this is one of the biggest mistake that I had was that I assumed that we all wanted the best for society in general, <laughs> right? Like that is a huge assumption. I mean, I thought like, I thought maybe they have a different way of getting there. Maybe they think, you know, blah, 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 maybe the personal responsibility and all this stuff, but ultimately they want everybody in society to prosper. That is just not true and that it's just not true and so that is that was a gut punch that i that i learned as i got older but i think you know so it's really terrifying when you start thinking in those terms um these people are not like this group of of conservatives are just not they're not i don't know they're just not playing by democracy rules they're just not interested in democracy they're no, modern day Confederates, is what they are. Well, That's they absolutely, absolutely right. Are. And and we we've we've you know constantly talked to our blue in the face about the conservative moral hierarchy. But I yes. have one other thing that has to be we have to keep in the top of our minds, and that is the year eighteen fifty, because mm. this is a party of the year eighteen fifty. 
And mm-hmm. that is something that is because you remember what the way things were in 1850. And that is exactly the society they are trying to build or rebuild. So true. It's absolutely right. Yeah. Feudalism. Yeah, what, one of the things I was thinking about, Christoph, when you were talking about where you saw yourself in the spectrum is how, mm-hmm. um, you know, Elizabeth, even Elizabeth Warren says that she is a capitalist to her bones. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so I, did I, Biden I, just say that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, as far as the whole like uh, you know Trump thing and the where the GOP is at right now, I always describe it as this a sphere of ideas, right? And we all may fall in some different places within the sphere, but we're all still within the sphere, and it's right. all kind of you know within the bounds of reasonability, you know, at least mm-hmm. or so I thought, like kind of like you were were saying, Christoph, but. Mm-hmm. This whole Trump thing and where the GOP is at, it's it's not just outside the sphere. It's like way, <laughs> a, a couple miles down the road under a freeway bridge, you know, smearing its feces on the wall. Right. So it is. It really is, man. It, it, if if the American public actually knew what their plans were, I don't think they would get more than 25 percent support. If that I think that's right. I mean, it, like, even if they just said what their actual, if they just took a paper and read their policies, their policy objectives from 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 uh, from beginning to end, no one would vote for them. Their policies, no. as they stand, are not popular. Even they're not popular. That's why they have to dress it up with a bunch of boogeymen, um, yeah. black people, mm-hmm. um, you know, immigrants, mm-hmm. uh, socialism, you as know, well whatever. as as well as they they cloak it in you know hypernationalism and yes. their, their and Christianity. And oh my all, God! All yes. You know, it's, it's why becoming, the evangelicals are hand in hand with them. It's becoming so prevalent now. Like every every right wing politician that you see on Facebook is like God, God, God. Oh my and God! Always. They, they they this is it's it's triple what it used to be. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the 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 craziness that you see in their tweets and in their in their posts and things like that. And I think we also forget that they did not write a 2020 platform. At all. I know yeah. it blows my mind. <laughs> I can't think yeah. of another time when an American political party has failed to write a platform for its convention. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what happened with the Whigs and, you know, going all the way back that far. But I don't think in the 20, you know, since the 20th century that any party has ever failed to write a platform. And the reason is it fits on a three by five card, white Christian nationalism and Trump, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They don't actually stand for any policy at all. It is just like, I mean, it's just naked pursuit of power and a cult of personality around Trump. Like that's yeah. it. And Trump is. Yeah. yeah. Whatever the dear leader says. Exactly. Um, but uh, so, so moving right along uh, this week, China outlawed Bitcoin outright as well as other cryptocurrencies. Now, while I'm usually not quick to celebrate China flexing its authoritarian muscle, this is a situation where I think this is the right move. And for one main reason, the environment. Uh, Crypto is generally dumb, but (laughs) more importantly, the insane and staggering amount of energy and electricity needed to power these silly little microtransactions is jaw-dropping and terrible for the planet in general. So with that in mind, what do you guys think about this move on the part of the Chinese government? Well, okay. You don't really want to get me started on crypto, but I, I will give you a little a nutshell case. First, I want to say, though, I mean, China, what China is doing right now is really very scary because Definitely. they have too much power. 
And I mean, I think it's good to have financial regulations, but they are just across the board uh, doing so many crazy things that are violating people's human rights and violating, you know, any sort of norms that we would accept anywhere else in the world. And the problem is, is they are becoming the gorilla on the block. And what they do is going to affect the rest of the world. It's going to affect the internet. It's going to affect entertainment. It's going to affect finance. And so, um, but in terms of what they did for crypto, this is good because the existence of crypto has always been a direct attack on one of the primary functions of government, which is the mm-hmm. coinage of money. And you're certainly correct that the structure of crypto based on this proof of work and doing these extremely complex calculations that have to be done ever increasing, like as you know, the, the more Bitcoins that are mined, uh, the more the harder this work becomes and the longer it takes and the more energy it uses. And yeah. it's an environmental disaster. And it's also, of course, as has been said a million times, it's a magnet for organized crime and terrorism. Mm-hmm. It's becoming an extremely easy way, uh, easy to use way of hiding assets adding to the problem of unaccountable offshore banking, which is already a multi-trillion dollar problem. So (laughs) Bitcoin itself for investors, it's the mother of all pyramid schemes. It's basically Mm. a security without a company to back it, as I mentioned in my (laughs) money episode, which everybody should watch. This is, I I always say that cryptocurrency is the monetary equivalent of being famous for being famous. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> right. Everybody's buying it because everybody else is buying it. And it's true. You know, the, the SEC, thankfully, is strongly considering a crypto crackdown in the US. At a minimum, they want to regulate Bitcoin like a security. And of course, all the, the Bitcoin people don't like that at all because they've been operating with absolutely no regulation for right. for years now and built yeah. whole impunity. You know, yeah, impunity. So we need to go way beyond regulating. Bitcoin, though, and create our own central bank digital currency. And I've been wondering why that hasn't happened, why it happened in China and why we just didn't do it. And it's become a, becoming obvious now that it sets up a conflict with the banks, because if we had a mm. transparent, publicly accountable payment system backed by the government, it's an existential threat, right? You don't need a bank account. You just send your, you know, you just have your government account on your phone and you send somebody money and that's it, right? It it does away with a whole big portion of the banking system. So it's and it's direct government to consumer. And so the banks want to avoid this at all costs. And I think they're trying to figure out a way how they can keep their hands in that pie. But um, the price of us not doing this will be that we will lag the world on a central bank digital currency adoption and this could really cost the U.S. big because remember, a big part of our advantage in this country is being able to act as the world's reserve currency. Everybody mm-hmm. wants dollars. But if China has a central bank digital currency that starts to be accepted in more of the world, we could be we could be in for a hard road. Yeah. 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 A, a good point, Sean, what you said there at the end, especially uh, that sort of I was thinking, you know, a couple things that. One thing, and this happened in spades during the Trump era, but it's been happening incrementally over many years, and that is China being it, being a, a genuine rival. But uh, they've been a rival for a long time. But really, this idea of basically them supplanting us mm-hmm. as like the world superpower, right? Mm-hmm. And that, and, and like, it's hard for them to do that, and it's hard for anyone to do that. But it's not like they're not making strides. And this, to me, seems like just another brick. Uh, being taken off of that wall, perhaps. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it's like a drop in that bucket, but it's an important drop in that bucket. Right. And so we get to a point where we where China and not the United States is the world's bank. 
where mm-hmm. child, China, but not the United States, is the world's, world's sort of infrastructure creator, right? Like China goes to African nations and says like, hey, we'll build you this fucking dam. We'll, we'll got to take a lot of stuff out of your country, but we'll build you a dam and all this infrastructure, right? And they go ahead and they do that. And then they're, they're spreading their sphere of influence in that way, right? China has stealth technology. That mm-hmm. should be very, very concerning for us, right? Mm-hmm. So there's so many ways in which China and, and is is uh, sort of taking over that 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 uh, that role. And I think a lot of people on the left hate the, the United States as the world's police. But um, huh. who They're would you prefer? Worse. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> who would you prefer to have be the world's police? Either yeah. like the United States. And is it the United States or do you want China or do you want Russia? Right. Yeah. So. So. And then and the other thing I wanted to mention, too. Uh, oh, and I just wanted I'm interested to see how Biden deals with that. I mean, he went to the U.N. He did his speech. It was very much sort of like a um, return to the classic American president in front of the U.N., not Trump, obviously, but also not Obama, who, who was mm-hmm. like a celebrity and, um, and everybody loved him. and Everyone had a lot of hope. And da, da, da. it was sort of more of, a, I think, a more traditional sort of speech and which is fine. it will be interesting to see how Biden deals with China. And and the last thing I want to mention is uh, is just what I think we basically started this little conversation about, which is the tariff, just the authoritarian sort of flexing of of China is genuinely terrifying. I mean, I just can't imagine being a Chinese citizen right now and just watching my rights just sort of fall away. And it's not like and, and this is, I think, really important, too. It's not like one day they just show up and everyone's rights are gone. It happens right. slowly over little being chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. And sometimes there's a big break, but ultimately it's this slow process. And I think that is definitely the most terrifying thing. I feel really shitty for like, you know, students and liberals and progressives in China who, I mean, what, a what, I mean, they're going to come knock on your door and you could be disappeared just like that. And that is terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's the way it is. It's almost like uh, if you can imagine the Chinese government censors on social media being like Facebook, but then you get taken away to real jail. That's Mm -hmm. kind of and also looking at what happened in Hong Kong. Okay, Hong Kong up until just a few years ago was a democracy where they actually had elections. Now, okay, they have to approve everybody on the ballot and only a very small number of people actually get to vote. So elections have been abolished in Hong Kong. Yeah, it's it's insane. It's insane. And by yeah. the way, can we talk about the fact that that is what conservatives in this country would be perfectly happy with? Right. Oh, yeah. Right. That is what they I mean. Right. They want they like a small group of people gets to vote and the government or some organ, someone can always just veto it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like oh, like that. And so basically it, it's like I mean, it is just this sort of sham election thing that we see yeah. in, in all kinds of countries. Russia, China, Iran. Yeah, exactly. uh, it's, it's it's everywhere. And everywhere. Even, I'm, I'm trying to think, oh, the Philippines, the Philippines. There's, yes, uh, there's another great example. Manny Pacquiao is going to run for president there. And Duterte is saying, well, he might not be eligible. It's like, OK, well. <laughs> <laughs> OK. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, I think you're right. The, the the authoritarian nature of it can't be overstated. It's just mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not a fan of this whole crypto thing. You know, in addition to the the toll on the environment, I just straight up don't like how it turns everyone who's into it into a goddamn snake oil salesman. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. It really does. Like everyone, everyone who gets into it is constantly pushing it. And I'm just like, shut the fuck up already. <laughs> You know, it's so, so true. And I get these like messages, you know, like on Instagram or Facebook, like, you know, or or I, this happens a lot on Facebook. I'll get like a like a DM from some random ass person that I don't know. Oh, cryptocurrency. Da, da, da. I'm just like, you know, oh, my God. No. Yeah. 
Yeah. They just want you to buy it so they can make money. And one last thing about it is that El Salvador is trying to adopt it as their national currency. It's going to be a disaster. Wow, it's going to be a de- it's going wow. to be a deflationary disaster, and the people are upset. The people are protesting in the streets about it. Wow, yeah, I don't blame them. <sighs> Me I don't blame them. Well, oh, well, moving right along. Um, so, getting closer to our main topic, uh, in a coincidental correlation, there were actually a couple of David Simon related news stories that developed since our previous discussion about Show Me a Hero. Uh, the first was David Simon himself making some headlines in Texas. So uh, in our last discussion, I mentioned that in addition to making great series, Mr. Simon is a take-no-bullshit liberal, and I liked him a whole lot as a person in addition to being a fan of his work. He managed to prove my assertions to be justified this week when he halted production of his newest in-development series in Texas due to the state's new draconian anti-abortion legislation slash Handmaid's Tale impression. (laughs) (laughs) He, He had this to say on Twitter, quote, if an, if an employer, this is beyond politics. I'm turning in scripts next month on an HBO nonfiction miniseries based on events in Texas, but I can't and won't ask female cast slash crew to forego civil liberties to film there. What else looks like Dallas slash Fort Worth? End quote. <laughs> Fantastic. So you can see why I like this guy. Now, I don't know what this new series is, but I bet it's going to be fantastic. Whatever it is, I'll be there night one when it premieres um but with that said what do you guys think about simon's move here christoph yeah i mean i think it's great i think that um i think for the same reason why it's great when uh basketball teams decide not to not to, to not to hold i think they, they hold the, they didn't hold the all-star thing in north carolina over the bathroom bills right so and i i, I may be screwing that up but you guys get the point i think yeah. that flexing flexing um, corporate or private power in a world where we are uh, deliberately constrained as a people to flex our flex our collective muscle publicly because the, because the are are the people who represent the, the, our our politicians don't represent the country they represent a very distorted view of the country so if there's a way that our values can be can be impressed or stood up for um, in the private sector. And there's, and there's people who are prepared to do that. I think that that is, I think that's great. And by the way, I think Simon in general, he's great. Um, His, his, we're going to talk about his show, but his, his content is really just outstanding. And, and like I said, I mean, ideally we wouldn't be in a situation where this is, this is like one of our, our, our last best option. But if, if, if we are, then I'm glad that he's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's okay. I certainly champion Simon's efforts, and I agree with everything Christoph just said. But I think the problem here is that this is now become a critical path on the right wing agenda, mm. and this whole abortion six week uh, lawsuit vigilante program is spreading to about a dozen states, and we're not going to hold back this tide. If these draconian laws are going to be stopped. It's going to have to be at the Supreme Court. And if the Supreme Court guts the right to abortion, we'll see it become illegal in about half the states. And the next step the right has planned is going after women who leave states to seek abortion care. You, mm-hmm. I, I, I guarantee you that within a couple of years after getting this done, then they'll start cracking down on, on travel. And they won't stop until abortion is banned everywhere because as long as there's an escape hatch, then they don't have control of women. So 
they're going to ultimately be pushing for a ban at the federal level. And we'll see how far the Supreme Court's going to go. They may cooperate with that. It's, it's hard to say. But you can also expect proposals coming from these states for very heavy penalties for anyone who sells the abortion pill into those states where it's illegal. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point they seek to impose the death penalty on on someone because they haven't been able to stop the flow of drugs and abortion pills are just drugs. So, um, you know, (laughs) those drugs will get into those states. And I and I can imagine them being very upset about that because it could having those drugs available could make these abortion bans somewhat irrelevant. Right. Because if you can just take a pill. Um, yeah, sure. It's a drag if you don't get aftercare, but uh, at least women aren't going to be going to back alleys. Right. But I think we're thinking too small about this a little bit because the ultimate goal of the right is nothing less than complete control over a woman's fertility. And I would expect them ultimately to be working towards some sort of biometric solution to actually monitor women's cycles remotely. And, you know, that, that sounds very dystopian, but it's, it, it, I mean, your iPhone can, mon- you know, you can have a heart monitor, right? They could make women wear a monitor to somehow monitor their cycles. And I, this totalistic mindset that I'm talking about, we don't think this way and we need to think this way more because they are already planning years in advance with this stuff. And I could promise you that in some Christian right think tank, these plans have already been drawn up. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Sean. And I agree that, um, you know, it comes down to the Supreme Court, really. And I think that's one of the main reasons that Got people like us were shouting our heads off in 2016 about how important it was to support Hillary Clinton. Whatever you may have thought of her personally or whether you liked her personality, you know, uh, the Supreme Court was at stake and uh, America shit the bed. So good job on that one, guys. <laughs> Not you guys, but you know. it, could, it couldn't have been more important. <laughs> it, it was the most important election of our lifetimes and we fucked it up. So, yeah, yeah, that is for sure. Um, yeah, for sure. But so. Uh, so the other piece of David Simon adjacent uh, news uh, in the time between our last show me hero discussion and this one was, of course, the tragic passing of Michael K. Williams, who came to fame playing Omar Little on the David Simon series, The Wire. Uh, I wanted to mention this not just because he was a fantastic actor and not just in The Wire, but also uh, The Night Of and uh, Lovecraft Country, which just uh, wrapped up. Um, but also because the way he died highlights the issue of opiate addiction and overdose as well as how those statistics are worsening for people of color in particular, according to a new study by uh, the National Institutes of Health public, published in the American Journal of Public Health. Uh, Non-Hispanic black individuals in four U.S. states experienced a 38% increase in the rate of opioid overdose deaths from 2018 to 2019, while the rates for other race and ethnicity groups held steady or decreased. Personally, I don't really judge people that self-medicate. The world is a really fucked up place. And until you solve the complications and hurt of the human condition, uh, which I don't think anyone is likely to really do anytime soon. Uh, I don't think the issue of people self-medicating is going anywhere, whether it be with booze or, you know, fentanyl. But it's still yeah. in, infuriating to see people, good people and talented people, uh, lost like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Willi- Williams' former co-star on The Wire, Clark Peters, who also appears in Show Me a Hero in some of these later episodes, uh, stirred a bit of controversy with his comments about his friend and former co-star's death. Uh, he said on Twitter, quote, I'm conflicted over Michael K. Williams' death, pissed off that he let us down, 
angry because he could have reached out and didn't, instead led us to believe he was all right. Sorry that another brother's life has been wasted. We can do better than this. Talk to a brother. End quote. Now, some thought he was too harsh. This was right after he died. Um, but personally, I thought his remarks were warranted. Um, what do you guys think about his comments and this crisis in general? Hmm, well, uh, you know, I think that in terms of what this guy said, you know, he's expressing himself as he's going through a difficult time. You know, uh, I think that um, I don't know that I necessarily agree with the sentiment that he's expressing, but I do. But I get you know, wanting to express yourself under those circumstances um, in general. Right. So I, I'm using myself as as an example. I mean, I spend my entire life basically trying to manage my mood. Right. Like, I, I don't know whether it was it's it's capitalism. It is the world. Uh, it is like you say, the human condition, if it is it, or it's uh, or it's just my personal experience growing up and what whatever that was being black, whatever, any kind of thing you throw into the pot that makes it such that like, you know, um, managing my mood is a full-time job. And I use, and, and I, I say this to people all the time. I use all kinds of things to do that ranging from meditation to therapy, to booze, to pot, right? Like, you know, so it's like, and, and I don't, so the self-medicating thing, I, I don't, I have zero problem with that. Um, and uh, I think the larger problem is how we as a society deal with drugs and with drug addicts um, and how Absolutely. we talk about them, how we marginalize mm -hmm. people um, and how we, we refuse to see how trauma, early childhood trauma leads to these things. And by the way, we can get into the whole quite talking uh, question of we can get into the sort of free will conversation here also. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, we are definitely a product of our genetics and our environment and all that kind of stuff. And so how much of what the drug addict does or thinks or feels is is their fault and where do you even find that fault um and so there is that element and then the biggest thing and, and again the biggest thing is how like uh, to talk about our the way we deal with treatment the failure the abject failure of how we deal with with, with treatment for substance substance abuse um so like as i'm thinking about this uh you know I think of him as Omar's death. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I think immediately of of all of that stuff, man. Like, you know, and I am saddened by it. I am. I it makes me shake my head. But the bottom line is, and is if this guy had access to good, clean drugs, he'd probably be alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is okay. This is. A, I have a real problem with Clark Peters' tweet, and this is why. All right. Because the tweet was written as if this person committed suicide. Like, oh, why didn't you reach out? We would have been there for you. No, th th this is a problem of dosage. OK. Mm -hmm. And and by the way, I want to preface this, these remarks by also saying that I, I completely agree, Christoph. I have zero judgment for anyone who self-medicates. <laughs> your, <laughs> <Yeah>. your mental <laughs> state is your own problem. OK. Right. And, and 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 as long as it doesn't affect someone else, like if you're not doing it while you're driving or, mm -hmm. or operating heavy machinery or taking care of children or, you know, other things like that. But I've look, I've always advocated for legalizing all drugs and making them available in known dosages at cheap prices, including opiates. And obviously, in an ideal world, people don't get addicted to opiates. We don't. That's not a healthy thing. OK, but we don't live in that world. And even a few weeks on painkillers could be enough to cause someone to seek out more pills after they get out of the hospital. Happens to people at all levels of society. And once they start buying pills on the street, they find out that street heroin is cheaper and easier to get. 
So um, <laughs> don't get me started on the subject of how many so how so many people got access to pills, though. There's a documentary called The Crime of the Century from Alex Gibney about the Sackler family who basically waged drug warfare on millions of Americans and made mm-hmm. billions of dollars. And these people haven't still been sufficiently punished. So, um, you know, getting back to this death, though, almost all street heroin contains fentanyl. And the culprit in these overdoses is fentanyl, fentanyl, fentanyl. And we've never had these kinds of overdoses before the current wave of fentanyl. It's super strong. You can get a lethal dose just by handling it in uncut form. Okay. Insane. It's, it's insanely like micrograms can, can kill you. So I know personally people who've clinically died multiple times and were only revived because someone was around to give them Narcan. Now, this is a 50 something year old guy who's successful actor. He's not going to intentionally kill himself. And <laughs> But if he might have taken some some heroin that he didn't know what the concentration was, he didn't know what the dosage should have been. So having fentanyl laced heroin around in a world of addicts is the drug equivalent of having a semi-automatic weapon, right? Mm-hmm. Loaded semi-automatic yeah. weapon and having it on the street guarantees more death. And Michael K. Williams died like almost every addict dies because he didn't know the dosage. And this is why drug legalization is so, so important. We need people to be able to self-medicate safely to prevent these kind of tragedies. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with that for the most part. Um, I think more the, the part that I felt was warranted in, in Peter's statement was just the frustration of just, uh, you know, not being able to help his friend when he was clearly hurting. I mean, Mm-hmm. You know, we're not talking about like pot or, you know, beer or, th- you know, meditation. We're talking about, you know, hard, hardcore opiates, you know, mm-hmm. you, you definitely need to have some stuff going on to, to go to that level, I think, to, yeah. to fentanyl and things like that. Five, ten, but you don't know. You don't know how much is in there. They, they cut heroin with yeah. fentanyl and, and they, yeah. so they can cut it way, way more. And five, ten years ago, he'd be he'd be alive today. I mean, same, Heath Ledger probably sure. died the same way. I mean, there's so many celebrities um, uh, that, that have died like this, and and it's it's dosage, man. I mean, that's uh, I, think I agree. Every, you know, yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, so uh, now for our main topic, our second part of three installments discussing the series "Show Me a Hero." So if you haven't seen the series, check it out on HBO. If you didn't see our first discussion, definitely check that out as well. Um, from this point on. Heavy, heavy, heavy spoilers for this series will be discussed. <laughs> so if you want to experience it for yourself and be caught up with the discussion, go hit pause, go check out the show, go check out our first installment, come back. We'll be, we'll be right here. Um, so this is your spoiler warning. So <laughs> with that said, and that out of the way, Kristoff, uh, you were off during our first discussion about this series. So I'd love to get your thoughts on those first two episodes with uh, Nick Wasisco's Rise uh, those vicious city council meetings and the white mm. rage we saw on display uh, in those first two episodes. And just what have you thought of the series so far in general? Sure, sure. Um, I'm glad to be here to talk about this this time around. It, it really is a great series. Uh, for the, From the outset, um, you know, I hadn't seen the, the show The Wire in a long time. And so as I'm watching the show, I was like, man, this the, the sort of... Uh, the sort of cadence of this show, the way that it rolls is very familiar. And I was like, Oh, right. That's because it's the same guy. And like, really you feel that 
the way that they flip from story to story to story within and the, and the sort of in the seamlessness with which they do it and the different sort of ang- angles of the issue that they come at it with um, is very, very reminiscent of The Wire. And it's really, really, really good. Um, the first two episodes, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed um, uh I enjoyed the show in general. I think that the biggest thing is, like you said, is the white rage. And it is just, I mean, this is Trumpism, right? Like, I mean, you see it, it's like almost verbatim, the same stuff. It's like the, um, uh, the, uh, the, the the chanting and 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 it's not and and like that real rage with a spittle flying out right and mm-hmm. and that kind that level of anger and and this sense that the and this idea that this this grievance the grievance that like oh my god we're being screwed over by those elites right that judge right um and and so and then also i thought that was really interesting that i saw throughout these episodes but in the first two episodes as well is the 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 way the extent to which these white people these in this show the Yonkers residents or whatever go to convince themselves that this has nothing to do with race right oh, yeah. you know like they <laughs> oh, right, yeah. and, 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 I'm I mean, sure. and you know and it's like they say this stuff this kind of stuff over and over again no one runs around saying the n word even in this um in in the most recent episodes that I watched they don't say the n word anymore they don't say this and snap but it has everything to do with race and he points he really puts a point a fine a, a fine point on that um. Another element that I thought was really interesting is they actually some of the folks go and meet some of the black folks, the white folks from Yonkers. They go into their house and they take tea with them and all kind of stuff. And it's like it, it just reminds me of how uh, growing up in the suburbs myself, how, you know, I didn't know we didn't know people who lived in that environment. And our assumptions about them were just based on stereotypes. I think they were based on ignorance. They were based on the news. And it really sort of made it such that like the 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 worst elements of the of those environments end up being the uh, the standard bearer in everyone's mind for those for those environments. So um I, you know, I think they really captured it really well. Really so a really outstanding thing. I mean, the white rage. In particular, um, and the, the looks on the faces when when the when they when they get off the bus and the women are standing there, that look on their face that could have been out of the 1950s, like you know, a, a, a dinner, uh, sorry, uh, sit-ins when they were dumping the food on their heads. It was like that same snarling face. So um, yeah. it was it was a little bit disturbing, but also really really good. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm glad uh, you got something out of it. I, I knew that there would be, you know, uh, pl- plenty of of you know, substance for us to chew on uh, with this series. (laughs) So we talked a lot about the housing issues explored in this series. And while that is obviously a major part of it, I wanted to get a bit more into the characters and some of the interpersonal and social issues explored in these two episodes as we get a bit more character development in them. For example, we start to see the effect that Nick's stance on the housing is taking on his political capital and his career. We see him force the housing issue uh, through by showing the council members the consequences of their holdouts in the form of layoffs for the city, which to me is the ultimate form of nimbyism, where the problem <laughs> isn't real until it's affecting them and the people that they directly know or care about. Um, but this begins something of a downward spiral for Nick. Uh, as even he leaves the city council meeting, he and his wife are attacked in their car by an angry mob, infuriated that the housing is being built. Uh, so what did you guys think about this sequence uh, with them uh, fleeing for their lives after the housing is passed, and how close of a reflection of our current political climate uh, does that portray? 
<laughs> I mean, it's so on the nose. I, so these were much. the Trump rallies of the late 1980s. Okay. Mm. And these were the Proud Boys protests of the 1980s. And these were the Charlottesville marches of the 1980s. And the funny thing is, this is made in 2014 before we had any idea that Trump was even going to run. So what that <laughs> should tell you is, of course, what we all know and talk about every week is that nothing has really changed in our country. Trump himself wasn't so much of a backlash against President Obama as he was a backlash against civil rights progress in general. Mm -hmm. By the time Obama was elected, white rage against civil rights had been building for four decades. And I hate to sound like a broken record because I bring I've brought this up, I think, two or three times already on this show. But the book, The Sum of Us by Heather McGee. OK, she talks about how white Americans turned against public goods rather than share them with marginalized populations. Yes. And of course, that always brings up the story of the Virginia schools closing for two years and uh, white people hurting themselves to, to as long as they could hurt black people more. And so. When it came to the city being bankrupt and getting this court judgment against them, uh, of course they did it. I mean, because <laughs> yeah. Americans have always been willing to bankrupt themselves or suffer harm in service of maintaining what they believe is the correct moral hierarchy. And there's also an, a willingness to commit crimes and attack their fellow Americans. I mean, they, they're very easily in that scene, it was it was a uh, a life threatening situation, and those two could have been in seriously injured or killed. So, uh, just as we saw Heather Heyer get killed in Charlottesville, or other people who've been run down, you know, by cars or whatever, it was it was a deadly situation. And you know, it also included these people are in, in council meetings and they're talking about losing their entire staff of police, firefighters, <laughs> and trash pickup rather than accepting this court order to build the public housing. And the whole thing is. It's shocking and staggering. Remember the guy who was out there with his toothbrush? He's like, I'm ready to go to jail. I always have my toothbrush with me. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. That's the level this is at is these guys are just, they're willing to literally martyr themselves mm -hmm. to protect this hierarchy. And I, I want to bring up one more thing real quick, and this is a little tangential. And that's just that there was a plot point in there where the Catholic church had initially offered a site for housing. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. But they withdrew it because- Suddenly, they're passing the collection plate. Nobody's giving them money. So they're being blackmailed <laughs> by the white population to also participate in holding this, holding the line against, against equality. Wow. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that little piece, Sean. That is, yeah. that is really, really interesting. And uh, look, I think one of the things that jumps into my mind in terms of, yes, I do think this reflects uh, – really well what we're living through right now and uh you know spallone that's his name right spallone you know, yeah he, now he remember he gets into office and almost immediately says oh sorry i can't do that right like <laughs> yeah. right, like yeah. right. his whole thing was like i'm gonna fight for you all no matter what and then like almost immediately like literally i think in his accepted speech right he's saying his victory speech he's saying sorry i'm not gonna be able to do it and you know I think that's reflective of a couple things. Um, there is and, and, and there is always a politician who's prepared to go out there and tell the people exactly what they want to hear to get where they want to go, regardless of whether that is that is realistic or anything like that. And in this particular case, right, he he had to know. I mean, he's not and he was maybe he is an idiot, but he knew what what was on the other side of that election. But it's this short sightedness. And that's what I want to hit on the short sightedness of like only this next election matters. I'll deal with the rest when we get there. And there's nothing more GOP than that idea. Right. Like we'll just get into get into office and then we will we will we'll, we will lie and cheat our way into staying in office. Right. The show did it does a good job of showcasing what 
the politics is kind of behind the scenes, right? Where people are told whether or not they're going, whether or not they're going to run. Because you remember, um, uh, he was going to run, but the, the run for mayor again. But then he he he, he stepped back because that you know to to for democratic unity. Um, you hear this a lot with they're, they're like, oh, they they uh, their, their Democrats had to run Hillary Clinton back in 2016 and that's why that's why we lost it you're right so there's like this what i'm trying to say is that there's this there's this entire political machine in the background that is behind the screen that we all see um mm-hmm. that we as voters see and i thought that was really interesting how they got there like the, the backroom deals right the, the the phone calls all that kind of stuff and i thought that was that was really really interesting with cisco right you know he starts out at, with that naked blind ambition right and but ultimately he sort of comes around and i bring that up because i think a lot of times we as politicians and on the far left we have this problem we have this problem on the far left is that right like you know that we think that politicians have to be kind of like saints right like mm-hmm. they're either yeah. good oh, people yeah. or they're bad people right so like bernie sanders is good because he's pure right he never takes money from anybody for except for except for small donations right um and this politician's evil because he oh and then what it does is it overlooks the complexities that uh, the complexities first of all um i hope to one day run for office for something and you know I can attest that people who want to run for office are have are, are have big egos, are ambitious, and can be very self-absorbed and selfish. That is part of it, right? So that is the sort of person who is going to run for mayor. So you shouldn't be surprised when that person behaves that way when they are in when when they're in office, right? The idea is that like like there has to be a balance between that ambition and and statesmanship. And more than anything else, you want to sort of line up that person's ambition with whatever your policies are. Right. But this idea that there's some sort of like, you know, Jesus like Messiah, messianic figure out there that is just so great. Like, frankly, Obama is probably the closest you get to that. Right. Someone who's Mm -hmm. like really genuinely a really good guy. Right. And it's really, really smart. But most politicians, like most people, including Obama, are very, very complicated people. And and the idea that we overlook this, we like we expect everyone in our lives to be complex, to be unusual. Like my, my wife is a complex woman, right? Like, the, like I've gotten to know her, the more you get to know somebody, the more complex they get. Da, da, da. That's how it's like with friends. But suddenly when it's a politician, this person's supposed to be a saint, you know, yeah. and, and supposed to be very like, you know, almost like uh, and so I think that, uh, that the show does a really good job of getting in the, in the, in the tradition of the wire, mm-hmm. getting into the nitty gritty of individuals and the complexities of individuals and individual people. I thought that was really, really well done. Yeah, yeah, it's it's classic. It's classic David Simon. I mean, and he he's he's. I was just remarking also on the excellent cinematography that mm-hmm. he does. But before we move on, I, I just wanted to respond to some of that what you said because I think it was really well said, Christoph. Yeah, and I agree. I, I think politics is like the 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 opening to Game of Thrones. Okay, is probably mm-hmm. one of the best illustrations of the fact that the power is a machine. And not only does it grind people up, it's also independent of the personalities. And so mm-hmm. you, 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 you want policy. You need people to sort of be the front, but it's really this machine that's always going on in the background. And that's the machine that Republicans have managed to rig. And we're still sitting here at playing like as if, as if this is a fair game and not understanding that this is a machine and mm-hmm. and the the way that i don't this might be getting ahead to the to the next uh two episodes but the way that Wasisco was uh sidelined you know by that by that by that mayoral candidate who actually mm-hmm. got in after after Spallone um was was just horrible and you know led to the you know the ending of the show which we will 
not spoil, but anyway, uh, it, it's, it's really, really something to try to keep your idealism intact when facing the realities of what happens to people yes. who try to do good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's something we'll get into more as we, as we discuss the ending in our next installment, but Christoph, you made some really uh, excellent points and they definitely tie into uh, my, my next point as well, which, um, you know, after that whole sequence of the housing plan getting passed and them fleeing with the lunatics breaking their windows and all that, um, in the subsequent weeks and months, we see our main character, Nick Wasisco fight and lose a brutal and disheartening re-election campaign against Spallone, who, as we discussed previously, is essentially the villain of the series and more or less embodies the kind of xenophobic craziness and opportunism that we saw take full root in 2016. Mm -hmm. um, Wasisco clearly takes the loss very hard and understands that it was a consequence of his stance on the housing project, which, of course, is worsened by the fact that We've been seeing him trying to set up a new life for himself and his, his soon-to-be wife, house hunting and whatnot. Uh, so the just, juxtaposition clearly isn't lost on him when this happens. And so my question is, you know, what, well, first of all, what do you guys think about this arc so far overall? And what do you think it says about what we're asking of people who run for office? Like, is it just the standard to be subjected to lunatics trying to smash your windows and cur curse curse you to death and want to want to want to you know hang you up on the gallows is that is that just the golden standard it, it, it wasn't always like this and and of course in local politics is particularly brutal because mm -hmm. you 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 are interacting directly with the you know with a small number of voters and of course we know especially locally pandering to white fear and white rage is the easiest way to get elected in America. And that oh, hasn't yeah. changed <laughs> at all. <laughs> if anything, it's gotten worse. Definitely. And, and if you look at what's going on right now, just within the last six months, the Republicans unleashed their critical race theory juggernaut. Mm. And now that is rippling out and playing out on you know school board elections across the nation. Any jerk off, all they have to do to get elected is to come out against critical race theory. It's like a golden <laughs> ticket, right? And they can automatically get elected in large parts of America. And anybody who won't come out against critical race theory, they're out. And so I have to quote Charles Murray here, even though I despise that creep. Uh, he said words to the effect that in a democracy, telling white people they are the problem and that they need to change is a recipe for electoral disaster. And he's not wrong. And mm. if you notice how Spallone's behavior changes, you mentioned this earlier, Christoph, uh, after he wins, when he says, I will abide by the court's decision. It's like, well, no shit, you know, <laughs> uh, and it demonstrates that he was pandering the whole time and mm -hmm. he knew exactly what was going on. It's just like a guy who's vaccinated and then spreading COVID disinformation, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's total hypocrisy. And that's what it unfortunately takes to get elected in America a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't much have much to add, but I, I really do love the Wasisco uh, sort of um, uh, trajectory. Uh, he's selfish, right? He is um, he is ambitious. Uh, he could treat he certainly could treat his wife better. Um, he is uh, and he he just walks around cursing and talking to his dead dad. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that is but I but I think that he is very relatable, I think. And, and I mean, when I think of what a politician is like behind the scenes, like this is kind of what I see, um, like this kind of 
complex person who can put on a really nice face, who does care about the job, but mostly cares about winning. But it's a combination of all those things. I think the complexity is what really important. Another uh, last point I wanted to bring up, too, is I thought was fascinating was how uh, you know, local politics is a little bit di is different for sure, but that they had friends who were Republicans, right? They had this one guy, they go to the bar, him and the, um, and the mom from, um, the mom from Stranger Things, right? They go to the Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder. They go to the bar, and they have this one Republican guy with them, and they're talking to it, and 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 just like this idea that a Republican and Democrats could be genuine friends like that. You know, I mean, they were like a little antagonistic or whatever, but I find that to be really interesting. And just I can't imagine that that's happening right now in like in the House of Representatives. I mean, I guess they probably see each other in the gym or in the cafeteria, but I don't think they're huddling up and going and drinking beers and like poking fun at each other about winning a race or losing a race. Like, I just don't think that's where we are. And we're, and what's and what's happened is that people like us, Balone, people like Trump have weaponized the most fundamental, one of the most fundamental human parts of being a human being, which is tribalism, right? They have weaponized that. They've purposefully, purposefully whipped it up, whipped it up, whipped it up. And they don't care about the consequences, right? They don't mm. care about what happens on the back end. As long, and this goes to my point earlier, as long as they get in office, they'll worry about the rest later. And if that means feeding the base red meat, it's gotten to the point where they can't even feed in, in our in real politics, they can't even feed the, the the meat isn't bloody enough for them anymore. Right. They had to keep upping the ante to the till we got to Trump. Remember when Palin seemed like, oh, my God, there's red meat. Right. There yeah. was a time when George W. Bush's talking about Christianity seemed like, oh, my God, that's really pretty extreme. You know, he's an evangelical or whatever. And now look at what we're talking about. We're talking about theocrats. Right. We're talking all about them. all of them are just theocrats. That is now the the baseline to get in. Mm -hmm. You have to be a fucking theocrats. So um, so you know, the way this reflects, I think that this show and like this microcosm of this little of Yonkers, New York, really is if it, like it is so reflective of our politics over the last at least 10 years. But I'm thinking more like since since at least since the George W. Bush era. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um. So in these episodes, three and four, we also meet and spend a lot of time with Billy Rowan, a young mm. African-American girl growing up in the projects. Now, I found this character to be one of the more complicated and compelling in the whole series. She is definitely flawed and makes mistakes. <laughs> but I think many of the mistakes she makes are pretty commonplace for young girls in similar circumstances, uh, circumstances such as getting involved with the wrong guy, which mm -hmm. you know, her boyfriend is clearly a shitbag. She's definitely arrogant at times, and she definitely shows her youth and definitely makes some bad choices, but she's also very human and relatable in many ways. Uh, what do you guys think of this character, and what do you think Simon and the filmmakers are telling us by focusing so much on her story specifically? This is this is a great question. And um, and uh, thanks for that setup. Also, I think that she is absolutely a, a really great character and a couple of things that I thought a lot about her. Um, every time she makes one of these bonehead mistakes, starting from the very beginning, not listening to her mom. Right. And her mom looks like a woman. And look, black women are black women are tough. Right. I mean, to be a black woman in America. Um, being a woman in America is tough. Being a black person in America is tough. Being a black woman who is poor in America is all it's I mean, I mean, throw in LGBT, I guess. Right. And mm -hmm. uh, and then maybe and and uh, so 
and and she is hard as nails and she's trying to tell her daughter so the, the ways of the world, right? Like you're going like it's tough out there. You don't you don't finish high school. Your life is going to be really, really hard. Um, and uh, but then she continues to make these bonehead mistakes. She gets pregnant. She gets pregnant again. Right. You're just, and you're just like, Jesus fucking Christ. But, you know, a couple of things that pop into my head is, um, you know, first of all, just the environment in which they live. I just want to uh, before I forget about this, I want to I want to throw it in there. And that is right. These project buildings were designed as prisons. I mean, they look like prisons. They are set up like prisons. They mean they have that. I mean, that is how prisons are set up. Like if the, and so and there was a project building here in Newark. Uh, I live in New Jersey. So in Newark, they've knocked down those project buildings a long time ago. Thank God. Uh, and they do this townhouse thing now, incidentally. Um, yeah. But like because it's a much better system. But these uh, but these uh, th- like this was actually built by a prison, but by by a by a p- people who design prisons, like literally I'm not even asking that that particular project building. So um, so it was it's built to metaphorically keep it be, uh, sort of physically keep people in, but also metaphorically. Right. Because like there's this world that you live in when you're in the projects. And if you grew up your entire life in those projects, the odds of getting out of it are just so fucking slim. I mean, there are so many things that can go wrong in your life. Even if everything goes right in your life in that environment, the odds are still really, really high against you, you know? Um, So um, I think what was really interesting about her character, particularly though, was this, um, you know, what came to mind is that she was making mistakes that people of her age make, right? And yeah. black people, this happens to black people and poor people, uh, whether they be black or not, um, all the time. And that is like, right? So for me, when I was a kid, I knocked over a mailbox, right? You know what happened to me that night? I got in trouble and the cops brought me, the cops brought me home and that was it. If I am in the projects, I'm now in jail. Right. And now and I am being roughed up by police officers. Right. So my point is that the same sort of little juvenile mistakes, bad behavior and even really bad behavior, like really bad things that kids do sometimes. Right. The consequences when you are in that sort of in the environment like that, that that Billy grows up in are so stark. They're so life changing. Right. Um, in, in, in this over police sort of environment. And I think that's really important because that's how these young people get into the prison, you know, uh, cradle to prison pipeline really, really fucking early. Um, I think it's really interesting, too, is like as the show goes on, it's like and I and I, I picked up on this a couple of times is that there are a lot of black people and she was talking to her friend. Billy was talking to one of her friends. Um, and there's a lot of black people who are just not interested in like being civil rights martyrs. Right. They don't want to go to the other side of town and be spit on. They don't want right. to go live in a, n- a neighborhood they don't know. They just want to live their lives like every other ev- everyone else. And I think we oftentimes get in many, many different ways. We think of this group of black, these sorts of black people. Right. I'm, and by sorts, I mean, people who are not like suburban, like black people like me, but sort of those like sort of the, the quintessential urban sort of hood black person. Right. Like we have this ideas of who they are, the, the, like the criminals, um, uh, and uh, and and that they should want to like pull themselves out of the situation, but I think that like when you one one thing that I really like about this show is that again I keep going back to this complexity of talking about these people as individuals as people with a varying degree. Some people are really into moving into civil rights. Some people just don't give a shit. They just want to go and do their fucking. They just want to live their life quietly. So I thought that was a lot of interesting things. So I think Billy really is a great sort of. I keep saying microcosm, but a really great example of that complexity. And uh, and uh, I will, I'll come back to it after I after we hear Sean Sean talk. 
Sure, sure. Well, I have very little to add to that because I think you covered it so well. Um, and I also have zero uh, ex- there's nothing in my experience that relates to a black female teenager. I mean, being a teenager is <laughs> hard. Okay. It's bad enough if you're white. <laughs> I can't yeah. imagine the gauntlet that this, yeah. that, 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 you know, a, a, a girl like that has to run in life. And, you know, you saw the other, the other woman who was, you know, she was trying to get drugs and, you know, she got propositioned mm-hmm. and it's just like, it's just every day, Doreen. it's yeah. every, every day, you know, it's uh, uh, drugs, sex and violence. It's just, yeah. you know, I, I can't imagine that and so respect to anybody who makes it through um and i also want to say that this is a great illustration by by simon of why safe legal abortion is so yes oh my god because her biggest mistake was keeping that kid with that fucking criminal you know definitely and 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 having had then having more having more with him i mean it's horrible right so so like if anybody's ever going to get out of those circumstances they cannot fall pregnant at 15. Definitely, definitely not. One thing I wanted to add to is, you know, the I can't remember his name, but the black guy kind of like he is running the the group. Oh, yes. I know who he he is. And he goes to have tea with um, with uh, with with the uh, with the main with one of the characters. Anyway, the point is, is that he and also you remember the woman who um, who is the blind woman's friend? Or the yes. woman who's going blind and yes, her friend yes. and she like visits her at the at the, at she like comes and she brings the blue paper that has the application for yeah, nudging for her the to improve exactly. her situation. Yeah, and exactly. she's a little resistant. Exactly. So um both of those characters, the reason why I bring those characters up is because I really caught there from them implicitly. They didn't say it explicitly, but they talked about the importance of not frightening white folks, right? He goes to this yeah. woman's house and he is, I mean, over polite, right? He yeah. is, he cleans the crumbs Meticulous. off, off, <laughs> meticulously off the table, right? He, 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 he wipes his feet multiple times before he comes in. And then once he gets in the door, she lets him in the door. He doesn't proceed into the house until she lets him in. Right. Um, mm-hmm. the, yeah. This other woman, and she does the same thing. The woman I'm talking about, she goes up to um, to the car door, to, like they're mar- they're marching down the street, and she goes up to this to the white woman's car, and she's like, "Hi," and she you know puts her hand in, and it's very very pleasant. Yeah. And so and very and neighborly, I, very neighborly. And I say this because as a person of color, as a black person, especially as a black man, I can tell you that that is something that I think about all the time. Right? Is making sure that I'm not putting, I am not frightening this white woman so that mm-hmm. she ends up calling the cops, right? That I am putting on my, especially dude, when I go out there in the mode on motorcycling, especially because all the motors, best motorcycling takes up, takes place in, in, in the, uh, in the sticks. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I go into a gas station to pick up, I'm really big into, uh, into beef jerky and corn nuts when I'm on it, when I'm on a motorcycle trip <laughs> for all of you out there. I don't know if they're going to sell those in South Africa. I'm, I'm sure they'll have some sort of jerky, um, corn nuts. I don't know, but we'll see. Um, so, but, <laughs> My point is that, like, you know, they go it is, you know, I go into this store and I'm like, hey there, how are you doing? Big old smile. Don't worry. I'm not a dangerous black person, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that is that is the experience of being a black person in a white environment. And you, and I saw this happening in this show 
um, with these two characters in particular. And I thought that was very, very well done, very, very poignant. And I'm glad that a that I don't know who Simon has advising him, um, but he really got some of those nuances, very uh, sort of uh, those nuances. He nailed those nuances very well. You have to yeah. nail them because if you don't, right, then the series itself becomes another form of colonialism, right? You're, yeah, exactly. you're going into exactly. this, you're, you're telling a black story in a white way and you're not mm-hmm. actually getting the details, yeah. right? So, you know, that had to, that, like, he dotted his I's and crossed his T's as far as that goes. Yeah, yeah. he's that, really I think, good. I think that's one of the things that draws me into his projects um, is that it's truthful storytelling, you know? He's, he's very truthful. Um, about all of these subjects, whether it's, you know, the Iraq invasion or, you know, a character like Billy Rowan trying to get by, like it's all told very truthfully. Mm-hmm. But um, so in these uh, two episodes, we also begin to see the evolution of another fantastic character in this series, Mary Dorman. Mm-hmm. Um, and initially she is very much against the housing, one of the most vocal opponents Uh, And still is on the onset of episode three, but the cracks and the foundations of her beliefs really start to show here, particularly in the moment we were discussing earlier when Spallone wins the mayoral race and suggests the city will abide by the judge's ruling on housing. You you, you can see the gear starting to turn and she begins to question what makes him any different from Wisisco and starts to understand Spallone's hypocrisy as well as the fact that the housing will be built. (laughs) <laughs> so we, we touched on this uh, a little bit in our previous installment, but what do you think, uh, what do you guys think is the key in today's world to more transformative change in the individuals perpetuating mm. this type of xenophobic segregationist attitude and igniting the sorts of change in them that we see in Mary Dorman? Is this just a, like a prime directive sort of situation where we we can't force it and the pain is part of society's growth Mm. or I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I'd have to say that people like to change their minds slowly and in private. And in some of these cases, we're asking people to take public stands. And I think, I think her character arc, we talked about this on the last show as well, but I think her character arc was really good because in the beginning she's saying all that crap, you know, uh, all that, that uh, evasive lying crap, like it's not racism, it's an mm-hmm. economic issue. People are worried about their property values. You know, she's talking about black people instead of calling them some slur. She says, oh, they're people of a different lifestyle as if poverty and, you know, being <laughs> warehoused in a project is a lifestyle choice. They're you know? not like us. They're not like us. <laughs> right. It, you know, and, and so she's going full Trumper, you know, full Trumper Karen, you know, we trusted you. And now there's 200 townhouses going in, you know, like mm-hmm. how, who knows how many in each house, you know, she's like, she's just going Ugh. on and on about all with all this, this stuff. And I can't believe this is happening in Yonkers, you know? And so the beginning though of her turn is human contact. And yes. that is when one of the marchers in the neighborhood introduces herself, just comes over the car, reaches in, shakes her hand. She cannot help but relate to her as a human being. And that starts the whole chain of events, which later in the final episodes plays out. But um, we see another turn where she has to, you know, cause this is what goes on in families all over the country. She has to, to really confront her own husband who is still like the most rabid opponent, right? And they're all marching, but like the houses are in place. The construction equipment is rolling. Fences are up. It's in full swing. And these guys are still marching. And she goes like, uh, what are we trying to accomplish here? 
she realizes it's a dead end cause. And so it's that, it's that two pronged thing, right? Once you realize that uh, there's a new order, you're forced to accept, come to terms with it and accept it because you can't stay that angry. Right. Mm -hmm. But the thing that gets you there is human contact, direct one-to-one human contact. And that's what, that's what I think that the right is really trying to prevent Frankly, that's what segregation was about, mm. was preventing preventing uh, white people from who were not insane xenophobes, right, and racists, preventing them from actually just getting to know and becoming friends with, because that's the scariest thing to white supremacists yes. is are white people who accept and love black people. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great point, Sean. Really, really great points. I don't have too much to add. I mean, like, because as you were talking and I was thinking about what I wanted to, how I wanted to respond to this and um, the human contact is the whole fucking thing, right? Because, right, we are, you know, and, and I, I, ta- I touched on this earlier, but like we're human beings and one of our most base, base sort of instincts is that tribalism, right? So we, uh, and we automatically um, sort people, things, ideas into us versus the, like us, things that we identify with and things that we do not identify with. Mm-hmm. And um, and once something goes into, into the them category, it is, I mean, literally not human anymore, right? That's how our brains, like, right? Like that is sort of the, the, the it is it is beyond the realm of sympathy, of empathy, right? Um, and that is sort of, that's a very natural human thing. We have to, I think we have to fight that. I think we, I, I don't think it, I think it's different from different people, but what the separation does, and you alluded to this, Sean, with the segregation and frankly, um, putting black people in a, in a project prison you know, on the other side of town does the same thing. Once they're over there, you can, they're not human beings. They're not taking care of themselves. They're animals. Who cares about what happens to them? And if they come here, I'm going to defend this with my life. That's by the way, why I need a gun. Right. Yeah. Right. That's why you need a gun. Exact. Otherwise. Right. They, they, that's why we, uh, we need a gun. So I think that, so there is that element. I think the other thing too, and so like if people can get in touch with people like and actually see them as human beings, and that is what the, the character that I was talking about, the black guy that I was talking about, this is what he was trying to orchestrate, right? They yeah. went to these people's houses in the projects, right? And they saw A, that everyone wasn't living in a flop house, that there were families there, that they had tea kettles and teapots. And it's like, <laughs> oh my God, these yeah. are just, and, and it's funny because she did these, she was giving tea and I, I'm sure they did that on purpose, but she did tea for that same black guy on her side. It was literally the same thing in reverse. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you, you can't, unless you really are a dyed in the wool racist, even if you really are so committed to that, if you are like, it's like, if you are one of those people who is mostly their xenophobia is based mostly on ignorance, right? Once you break through that ignorance, there is a hope. And I think the last thing, and I want to branch it is that, and I noticed this with her, with her character as well, is that when the racism gets absolutely explicit, right? Because all the, oh, it's an economic issue, da, 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 da. But there was a couple of times when the person had said like, where the person she was talking to, I think one woman said like, um, and we're white, or she said um, something along those lines. But the bottom line is, or oh, oh yeah, and then they went and they and they, someone spread spray, uh, spray painted the N word onto one of the buildings. So like yeah. that 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 kind of stuff shatters the illusion that white folks have that it's an economic issue. This has nothing to do with race, right? right. And anybody who's being even moderately honest with themselves then has to either has to has to confront that. And most people won't. Most people will double down. They'll they'll, but like but there's going to be some people like this woman or more remarkable person 
who yeah. might see something different. Let's just say it always comes out. They're racists always. They can't hide it. That's it true. always leaks out no matter what happens, no matter how much they try to euphemize or, 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 or distance themselves from that sort of language. It always comes out. So true. Um, so, you know, we definitely see uh, a darker side to a few of these characters in these episodes. Um, we see Billy's continued involvement with her obviously criminal boyfriend. <laughs> Um, that guy's we, a schmuck. He's such a <laughs> schmuck. We we see Doreen's substance abuse begin to spiral out of control mm. with her concerned father, uh, played by Michael Potts from The Wire. And let me just say, you know, Simon uses he's one of those those showrunners who will use a lot of the same actors throughout various projects and different roles. I believe the character you were referring to, Christoph uh, Mayhawk. Yeah, that's mm. that's Clark Peters. You know, Lester from from the wire right oh uh, right um, yes 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 yeah yes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah that's who we were yeah. talking about with, yes, the, with Lester. the quote of course yeah. of course i knew i knew that guy yeah i knew yeah. i knew that guy that's, i totally forgot that holy shit yeah that's that's who said who said the uh the michael k williams quote earlier um uh, so, yeah 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 okay now it's all coming now together it's Drew. all coming it's together, all <laughs> coming together. <laughs> but yeah so so doreen's concerned father we see him kind of come into the apartment and check things out right so of all of the uh, actors who get reused from the wire as far as like differences in what type of character they're playing. Michael Potts, I think has the most drastic because he played brother Muzone on the wire. <laughs> That's right. Who was like a ruthless hitman. And so mm-hmm. to see him here, you know, uh, uh, concerned about his daughter's, uh, substance abuse problem. is just such a contrast. It just, uh, you know, it catches my attention every time. I'm like, hey, that's Brother Muzone, man. You know, the, the illusion doesn't get shattered for me, really, but it's, it's just something I notice. Right. Uh, but anyway, so uh, I think we're all on the same page here as far as, you know, these types of humanistic flaws that, that I'm talking about. But, you know, what would you what would you guys say to someone pointing at these sorts of things? You know, uh, Billy's uh, boyfriend's criminality that she's bringing uh, uh, into it and Doreen's substance abuse, you know, what would you say to someone pointing at these sorts of things as validations of the concerns of the outrage mob? Mm. Fuck you. Um, yeah. No. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. just joking. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm it, just playing devil's advocate. Yeah, here, no, man. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking totally. And <laughs> um, all seriousness though, um, you know, I, I so when I think about this, right, is this deserving versus non-deserving poor uh, sort of thing that we get from the right uh, is is bullshit. But let's start with the fact that you know, the like when you take a human animal and place that human animal for generations under certain under various circumstances, oppression, right? Like and uh, like an oppression that is beyond. I mean, this is like black people in America have been oppressed. I mean, the only thing that comes close really is the Native Americans, right? The Native yeah. Americans, um, that level, that level of oppression, that level of real hatred for who those people are, where you literally try, they've tried to mold and like alter these people from their names to their, to, 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 to literally breeding, breeding them, right. Yeah. To, to, to create a certain type of person. Um, so that level of, 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 and, and then of course, all of the, of the segregation and the Jim Crow, the default and de facto, um, the, the de jour and de facto discrimination, um, that, 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 uh, that exists 
still today. All the, the reasons why black people have higher crime rates, uh, higher, uh, lower marriage rates, all these sort of statistics, right? Like there are reasons for this. If you, and, and if you put any group of individuals into that exact same environment in that, those exact mm-hmm. same scenarios, this is where you will end. This is where you will end. So I, so, and, but, but look, even if, even if none of that were the case, even if, you know, even if, We could really point to these folks and say, you are morally culpable for where you are in your situation. It still doesn't fucking matter. We don't condition decent treatment. We don't condition um, uh, uh, human rights and full access to society. We don't we don't condition um, our we don't condition people's uh, uh, chance to succeed, we don't condition that on whether or not they're good people or bad people. That is beside the fucking point, right? Whether they really, really is beside the point because, and and this is the analogy I make with, um, to make an analogy is uh, undocumented immigrants. A lot of people say like, right, you see these Haitian guys getting whipped by the horses, by the, by the, by, by the, by the border agents, all the horrible things that happened where they go out in the desert and dump out the water Mm-hmm. For these people, right? The people that that so like knowing that like that 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 they they that they're probably costing somebody their life in doing that, right? And a conservative shrugged his shoulders and said, "Ah, oh, he shouldn't have broken the law. Right. He's a criminal." As if that is just like okay. So just because yeah. this person crosses this 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 literally an imaginary border, it's mm-hmm. made up. It doesn't really exist, right? It only exists because we say it exists for the same reason money exists. We say it does, right? And yeah. it's like. So all bets are off now. All bets are off now. Now you yeah. now you can be able to you can shoot them. They are just not human oh. beings at, anymore. And this goes back to my tribalism thing, which I keep hitting on today. Is this idea of like once once they've like conservatives will, will will find any line in the sand to draw and then push somebody over that line and say now you're an other and you deserve nothing. Yeah, well, it, it, it's really. Um important to remember that even in the worst prisons, they still feed you and give you water, right? Yes. I mean, so <laughs> exactly the worst, you could be a murderer and you don't get treated like that, right? So uh, it's, it's, it's insane. And look, I have to say that one of the hardest things for me to watch, and there's a lot mm. of, there's a lot of bad things in, in this series. Okay. But one of the hardest things for me to watch, one of the most deplorable scenes was seeing those fucking assholes in that station wagon with oh. a camera like fucking disaster, vulture disaster tourists taking photos of the projects, documenting all the squalor that they were claiming was on its way into these lily white neighborhoods. It made me sick. It was seeing these people like, and it was really well recreated. Okay. I mean, I know these are all yeah. actors, but it was really well recreated and seeing the portrayal of these people living their lives the best they could mm-hmm. being looked at as like some sort of zoo animals by Sp- Spallone and his cronies. And then taking these, taking these spy shots, right. And then getting, blowing them up and just plastering them on and saying, oh, you know, look at these horrible, these horrible animals. Um, it's just sick and disgusting victim blaming. I, I, it, I don't have anything more. It was very well portrayed. Yeah, pretty much all of the scenes with Spallone make me feel Ugh. dirty, angry, or both. Totally. So I I agree, I agree completely. Um, conversely, though, one of the things I really enjoyed in these two episodes was the ending mo- montage of episode four. Uh, yeah. it, it was very much in keeping with how seasons of The Wire ended, if you mm. remember, with a well-crafted montage showing where the characters are and where they're going. 
you know, in the wire, they were always very climactic and final feeling because they never knew if they were getting renewed for another season. So they treated every <laughs> season finale as if it was going to be the season or the series finale. Right. I didn't so, realize that. Huh? Oh yeah, for sure. That's why all of, all of those finales feel so complete. You know, sure. they really wrap up every, every thread each time. Um, but it was reminded of that in, in this uh, episode four montage at the end. Um, and for the most part, this one is relatively hopeful at this point in the story. We see Nick and Nay get married. Uh, Carmen and Billy are having uh, dinners with their kids. Norma is knitting peacefully. Uh, Doreen is finally making the call to her folks, finally asking for help. We see the housing being built. Um, and we see the uh, construction workers talking about um, you know, how quickly they'll get everything up. Um, but up until we get to the very end in which... As you mentioned, Christoph, we see the housing defaced with death threats and racial slurs. So to me, this sequence almost encapsulates the American experience in a way, uh, a contrast of the peaceful moments with the racism and hate bubbling under the surface. So what did you guys think of this sequence and how this pair of episodes ended overall? Um, I thought it was as well done as any of those those so I'm not a huge fan of these end of episode or end of season music montages. I really think that they're I, I mean you know, some people like them. I think maybe it's music video culture. I don't know why it is that everybody <laughs> everybody uses these things now. It's like when you hear the music start at the end of the episode near the end. Of, okay, you know the show's wrapping up, and you know they're going to you know tie, they're going to tie up all these loose ends. I don't like it. I wish they would just end the episode, you know, like uh, with, with the narrative. And um, so, but I think it was well done. And I think what you said is exactly right. And I think that the contrast between, you know, Nick and, and his, and his wife to be getting their new home and, and versus, you know, the other problems, I, it was, it was, like you said, it's a spectrum of the experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I like the montages. I mean, I think that they're, I mean, I, again, I didn't, it wasn't until these last couple episodes that I really, it really clicked in my mind. I was like, holy shit, this really does feel like the wire in so many ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and, and I mean that in all good ways, really. Yeah. Um, so um, I thought that was really cool. I thought just, uh, but what I will say it's uh, kind of relatedly is one of my favorite parts um, was, um, wait, um, did we get there already? Oh, I don't want to say it if we didn't get there already. <laughs> um, so, I mean, bottom line is, let me just leave it this. I'll leave it at this, and that is, with Cisco's character arc at this point in the show, four seasons, four episodes in, like I really like the guy that he has become, you know. And at yeah. the end of those episodes and Indra's montages, etc., you know, you really feel that. And, 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 and in general, you really feel like it was just a really great way of wrapping up how these characters have evolved. And so I liked it. I liked it. Um, I think your point's well taken, Sean. Um, but that said, I really did like it. It's personal preference. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. For yeah. sure. It was well done, you know. This for is sure. not life or death. This is not a no. life or death. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's all subjective, guys. It's all subjective. Right, right, right. Um, like so science, the, right? Science yeah. is just all, you know, just subjective, you know, whatever. You COVID, know. COVID, subjective. Uh, you know, right, yeah, it's, whatever, it's you fine. know, just whatever you're, whatever you feel, whatever you feel, <laughs> it's about your truth. It's about yes. your truth. 
Exactly. Nailed I deserve it. that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't even pointing at you. I'm just fucking No, around. not even. Yeah. <laughs> just being absurd. All right. Um, so, guys, any uh, closing thoughts or observations you want to close us out with? Adi? Uh, just that. Thanks, uh, Drew, for bringing this show to my attention. I didn't know about it until you told me about it. And I've really, really enjoyed it. My wife and I have really, really enjoyed it. So um, everybody should go out and watch it. Although if you get got to this point in the episode, presumably you have watched it. Um, but I hope, uh, so. But, <laughs> I hope so. But anyway, uh, but thanks, Drew. It's, it, it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, I concur. I think that uh, it was it, it's not a show that I knew about. And so I was really happy when you uh, selected that for our topic. Awesome, guys. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad you guys have, have enjoyed it and gotten something out of it. Um, we've still got two more episodes to go to get through. Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, I, you know, we're, We've talked a lot about David Simon, but there's another uh, creative contributor uh, to this series that I want to spend some time talking about uh, next time, which is the director, Paul Haggis, who, mm-hmm. uh, as, as I'm sure many uh, of our listeners may know that name as he has been uh, very outspoken against the Church of Scientology as a former member, which you know his speaking out against that organization costs him a lot uh, mm. initially. So I think uh, you know that ties in a lot to some of the sacrifices that was you know Nick Wasisco has sure. to make yep. uh, in in doing the right thing. So we're going to get into some of those correlations as well as uh, the ending uh, of of the series, which is incredibly powerful. But uh, that's it for now. That's our show for today. Uh, as I said, we'll be doing follow-up uh, follow-up installment to cover the last two episodes. Just be sure to subscribe and follow us on YouTube and social media to stay updated on our future content. Uh, if you like the show, be sure to hit the like button on YouTube, leave a comment, leave a review. All that stuff helps us. But most of all, word of mouth helps us more than anything else. Uh, tell your friends about the show. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. All your support means a lot. Uh, new episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on YouTube, all the major podcast channels. We also publish new articles weekly in our journal at theradicalsecular.com. I'm Drew Scott. Thank you for being here. And remember, wherever you are, you too can be radically secular. The Radical Secular Podcast is written and produced by Christoph Defoe, Sean Prophet, Joe Okipinti, and Drew Scott. Artwork and design by Tim Stetner. Post-production and theme music by Sean Prophet. Special thanks to our support team, Lindsay Brightman, Jillian Sky Jacobs, and Lori Field Okipinti. 